Good evening. India's economic growth is forecast to be 6.5% in the fiscal year 2024 compared to 7% in the current fiscal according to the economic survey released by the government a day ahead of the union budget presentation. The economic survey forecasts a baseline gross domestic product or GDP growth of 6.5% in real terms in fiscal 2024. Despite the lower growth forecast for the next fiscal, compared to the current one, the pace would still make India's growth the fastest among big economies. The projection is broadly comparable, the report says, to the estimates provided by multilateral agencies such as the World Bank, the IMF, the Asia Development Bank and the Reserve Bank of India domestically. The actual outcome for real GDP growth will probably lie in the range of 6 to 6.8 percent, depending on the trajectory of economic and political developments. That's what the survey says. On this program, we'll bring you details of the economic survey. We'll also be looking forward to tomorrow's union budget. We bring you an excellent series of panelists tonight. It's a one-hour special. But first, what are the key points in the economic survey? We have this report. The Indian economy's recovery from the pandemic is complete, says the chief economic advisor as he explained the economic survey that he led. State of the economy, recovery complete. And therefore, after a long time, we have banking, non-banking and corporate sectors with healthy balance sheets and they are ready to borrow and lend and invest. So we don't have to speak about pandemic recovery anymore. India's GDP growth is poised to do better in the remainder of this decade and that is the focus of this economic survey itself. The report card of the Indian economy forecasts a 6.5% GDP growth for the Indian economy in financial year 2024 with a range of 6 to 6.8% retaining India's status as the fastest growing economy. The current year's GDP growth is pegged lower at 7%, higher than the forecast by the RBI, the IMF and the World Bank. The economic survey said that India staged a full recovery ahead of many nations, primarily due to consumption and capital expenditure. On employment, the survey said that labor markets have recovered to pre-COVID levels in both rural and urban areas. The opposition pointed out how the previous economic survey predicted an over 8% GDP growth for the current year. But the figure has now been reduced to 7%. On inflation, the economic survey said that while India's retail inflation peaked at 7.8% in April 2022, it was, however, one of the lowest in the world. But the survey said that the Reserve Bank is still likely to keep interest rates higher, meaning loans could get more expensive. Like inflation, the survey said that the Indian rupee also performed better than peers, but the currency has risks from higher import bills. On the health front, the government highlighted the reduction in out-of-pocket expenditures. The survey comes ahead of the union budget. For years, experts have been demanding a tax relief. For the low-income segment, the second can be by reviewing the tax slabs itself. So, so that we would leave it to the finance ministry to decide what is the appropriate way. But from our perspective, जो कॉमन मैन है 
इन्हें ग्रेटर सिक्योरिटी मिलेगी एक बार ग्रेटर सिक्योरिटी हो तो उनकी स्पेंडिंग भी इंक्रीज होगी एंड कंजम्पन इज अ वेरी लार्ज पार्ट ऑफ आर इकोनॉमी तो हमारे कंजम्पन ड्रिवन ग्रोथ ये कंटिन्यू रहनी चाहिए The other highlights of the economic survey included confidence that the government is on track to achieve its fiscal deficit target of 6.4%. It also put climate change in focus, echoing the call for climate finance and highlighting the upside risks to food prices caused by climate change. The survey said that economic growth will be boosted with measures to boost manufacturing. It remains to be seen whether the budget will focus on similar themes as well. In New Delhi with Himanshu Shekhar, Priyanshi Sharma for NDT. Well, joining us now, Nilesh Shah, uh, Dr. Shomokanti Ghosh, who is the Group Chief Economic Advisor of the State Bank. We're joined by Sajid uh, Chinoy uh, and Kaushik Basu will be joining us in a little while from now. We'll be joined by uh, the CII President um, Sanjeev Bajaj later on on this program, and also the Director General of the CII, um, Chandrajit Banerjee, as well. But first, let me go across to uh, Dr. Shomokanti Ghosh. You know, one of the key points uh, that's been raised in the survey is that we that our recovery is complete, seeming to suggest that the pandemic is over. Um, is that uh, is that uh, correct? Is that the way we should be looking at this budget? That the worst is over, and we are now on the takeoff ramp for something spectacular. Yeah, good evening, Vishnu. No, I think uh, if we actually look into the data in terms of the statistical parlance, we are now higher than the GDP uh, pre-pandemic GDP, whichever way you measure it. You measure it in 2019 levels, 2020 levels. We are higher than that, and that was already achieved in March 2022. There has been some sectors which has been lagging, but I believe those sectors will also catch up and cross the pandemic level by the end of this fiscal year. Uh, notably, is the trade transport sector. Now, having said that, I think. Uh, the uh, while that's the good thing that the economy has recovered smartly from the pandemic. The point to note is that the only thing certain today is the uncertainty in the global economy. While the, uh, the global economy is now finally showing signs of inflation cooling off in developed economies, and India too, I think inflation has been consistently undershooting the market expectation in the last couple of months. Yes. So I think if that factor. is became certain if we are and that which has been highlighted in the economic survey that inflation becoming more entrenched if you are able to grip on if you are able to get a grip on that most notably the fed and the other uh, the advanced economies i think that will be good for all of us because as you know that the fed has been consistently hard uh, increasing rates the central banks of the developing economies have also been raising rates including the rbi there has been some uh, uh, evidence of some of the central banks pausing rates in the last couple of months uh, in the developing economies but my sense is that yes the bad thing the good thing is that the we are now past the pandemic we are set for a stage of the numbers in the uh, economic survey which talks about a 6.5% sure. actually gives us hope of maybe doing better than what all of us believe this year but we need to be vigilant in this world where uncertainty has become the cornerstone since the last 3 years 2020 sure. started with an uncertainty when 21 started with an uncertainty when all right so we need to be cautious i take that point uh, nilesha let's talk about retail inflation that peaked at 7.8% in april last year that's well above the rbi's tolerance limit of 6% it's gone down substantially uh, but the survey actually says that um, However, we still have one of the lowest in the world. Um, 
is, is that a fair way of looking at it? You know, we, we just, we, we look at ourselves uh, when it suits us and we look at the world when it suits us as well. Uh, shouldn't we actually be working much harder at reducing inflation? Undoubtedly, Vishnu, inflation is our biggest enemy and we must work harder to control it. But how do we evaluate if we are working hard or not? Right. For the first time in our history, since independence, Indian inflation is lower than American inflation for last 14, 15 months. This has never, ever happened before. In fact, I will say that there are three parameters where India is an outlier on the right side. Our growth is higher than the global average by a margin. Our inflation is lower than developed inflation by a margin. And our housing sector is in a far better position vis-a-vis, let's say, American housing sector. Mm -hmm. So undoubtedly, we can still lower our inflation because in FY23, the number 6.8% was higher than RBI's upper level of 6%. But compared to the world in which we are, I think we have worked hard enough to control inflation and we must continue the vigil. Okay. Sajid Chinoy, um, one of the biggest problems in the Indian economy have, has been gross non-performing assets, GNPA. Now, that's also fallen to a seven-year low, right, to 5%. Uh, isn't that really significant that, um, you know, these were factors which were holding uh, holding down growth at so many levels. Uh, it was making a mess of our banking system. But uh, the fact that it's come down, it, uh, would you not say that that's one of the biggest plus points of the economic survey? Uh, Vishal, absolutely is. I think the survey is rightfully optimistic that some of these long-standing constraints have now been alleviated. This is part of what we used to refer to as the twin balance sheet problem. Remember, we used to talk about high levels of corporate debt uh, and uh, the, uh, the commensurate of the corresponding part was high levels of NPAs. Now, over the last three, four years, corporates have uh, worked uh, actively to deliver. Uh, corporate debt to GDP is the lowest since 2006. Yeah. We saw in the pandemic, banks clean their balance sheets up. And therefore, we're getting hopeful now that the long-awaited CapEx cycle, you know, which has been missing for a decade, uh, is now getting closer. But, but Vishnu, if I may add, that's more of a, I think, a six, eight quarter phenomenon. I think the immediate trade-off at this point is a lot of our growth uh, in the last two years has come from exports, uh, both last year and the year before. And what we are looking at right now is a pretty meaningful global slowdown. So the good news is the pandemic shock is behind us. The terms of trade shock from the war is behind us. But you're now staring at this discernible global slowdown in 23. And so the budget tomorrow will, on the one hand, have to be mindful of and anticipate the slowdown. On the other hand, we can't take our eyes off kind of macro stability issues because, you know, global rates are the highest they've been in 20 years. Uh, will inflation come off? Will the Fed be high for long? What happens to commodity prices? There are any number of event risks or macro stability risks. So what I'm looking for tomorrow really is this balancing act that on the one hand, you support growth. On the other hand, you protect, protect and preserve macro stability. And I'll just end by saying, if the, if the budget simply follows the template of the last two years, we'll be in a very good position. What do I mean by that? The last two budgets essentially had, you know, realistic fiscal consolidation. They had uh, conservative revenue assumptions, which is good to have in a year where growth may slow. And most importantly, there was this strategic push towards public investment. Yes. And I can't emphasize that enough, that we have to be doubling down 
on public investment, physical infrastructure, health education, because the states are lagging a little bit. And my own sense is the private investment cycle will still take another four, six quarters, given the global backdrop. So if the budget tomorrow can do what the last two budgets did, reduce the deficit, be conservative on taxes and double down on CapEx, I think that would be uh, exactly what the doctor ordered. Uh, Dr. Ghosh, uh, you know, if one of the points mentioned in the report was on social infrastructure. And in that category, they actually came out with numbers on, the, uh, on people who've exited poverty between 2005, 2006 to 2019, 2020. The numbers seem impressive, 41.5 crore people. I'm just trying to understand, we've gone through the worst of COVID for a period of two years. Unemployment has been a huge factor. Several segments of our economy suffered. So when we actually talk about people exiting poverty, could it actually have been much better than these numbers? No, I think, uh, Vishnu, uh, uh, there has been evidences and there have been studies. In fact, we have also done a study. Uh, this free food program, which the government has been running since the last two years, and I think a part of that has now been also extended in 2023. If you actually look into that free food transfer, and if you make a comparison of the free food transfer, the rice and the food grains which has been distributed to the 80 crore population, you will find that that itself had an impact on the incidence of poverty. Uh, I mean, uh, in, in the strict sense of the term. Please note that poverty estimates uh, are in India for a long period of time. I'm not talking about the current scenario. In the past also has been not that frequent. Sure. Uh, because it's, it is based on service. Sometimes the service may have been not been possible to do because of the pandemic and other things. But in my sense, I think the free food transfer program, which the government has been doing, I think that has actually helped a lot of people through the crisis in terms of mitigating the shocks. I think that was an, as you know, the COVID was mostly a health shock that translated into an income shock. For yes, a large segment precisely. of the population. And that, I think, was timely averted because of this free food transfer program which the government has been running for the last two years. Nilesha, uh, you know, debt as a percentage of GDP um, in 2015, it was 66.6%. It's now, what, 87.6%. Um, and we've got high interest rates, much higher interest rates than, say, the United States. So, in other words, our debt burden, paying off the interest rates, is a factor, you know, it's just something that the economy has to manage and therefore funds which could have been used elsewhere uh, have to be used to service this debt. Is this a concern? Vishnu, most of our debt is rupee denominated and the interest payment will happen to local bondholders, local lenders. In some sense, it is father paying money to the son. It's all in the family. Unlike other countries where debt is foreign denominated and you have to generate foreign currency to pay or service your debt, compared to them, we are in a far better situation. Number two, we are an asset-rich country. The government has borrowed money to build infrastructure, to create investments, to invest in public sector undertakings. The day we can monetize those assets, debt burden could, debt burden could come down. And that's also mentioned in economic survey. The third and the most important factor from subprime crisis of 2008 to COVID crisis of 2020 and 21, there is only one country in the world 
which has improved its debt to GDP ratio as a country. Indian households have deleveraged. No other country's households have created that miracle. Indian corporates have deleveraged. Very few countries' corporates have done that. And of course, the government, thanks to COVID expenditure, has leveraged. But collectively, the leverage of government is less than the deleverage of corporate and household. So as a country, because of the local borrowing and because of the combined debt-to-GDP ratio improvement, we can be comfortable on debt-to-GDP. But should we keep a vigil? Answer is undoubtedly yes. As you correctly mentioned, central government's resources are getting allocated towards interest servicing, interest payment. If we can lower that burden, to that extent, there will be money available for other purposes. We are inadequate in terms of our healthcare investments. We are inadequate in terms of our education investment. In some sense, it makes sense to transfer some savings out of interest burden into education sure. and health over a period of time. Uh, Sajid, let me just ask you a very basic uh, question, which I suspect 99.99% of our viewers would be quite interested in. Do you believe that there'd be relief for the middle class um, in this budget in terms of tax slabs, tax rates? Vishnu, it's uh, hard to uh, speculate here. There, there may well be some tweaking of Please the tax do. slabs. But I, think the, the, the larger, <laughs> the, I think the larger issue is the following, that um, uh, two points. One is that we have to recognize that fiscal space here is limited, that right. the deficit really ballooned in the pandemic. We're, we're, we're in the process of clawing the deficit back. And so if you want to bring the deficit back and there is this sustained thrust on public investment, you have very few degrees of freedom. So even though there could be some tax changes, uh, for example, I would not expect anything dramatic, which is going to cost the exchequer something substantial. I think the question we should be asking instead mm -hmm. is what can the budget do for investment and for job creation? I think that's the germane question to ask coming out of the pandemic. And I think the direct impact that uh, the budget could make is, again, on pushing on physical infrastructure and creating blue-collar jobs, construction jobs. I think the, the multiplier effect on the economy, uh, on consumption, would be much larger from that than tweaking the tax code. And I think the second is the indirect impact, that by fostering an environment of you know macro certainty, no surprises, bring the deficit down, keep borrowing contained, in a way, you're getting closer and closer to a private investment cycle. What we should all be hoping for is in the next four, eight quarters, we actually get the start of private investment cycle. That creates jobs. Jobs and the income certainty drive consumption on a sustainable basis, and that ratifies the desire to invest. So that's the virtuous cycle that we're hoping the, you know, the, the, the measures in the last two years and this budget can help get us closer to. Shomokati Khosh, um you know, foreign portfolio equity flows have actually gone down January to December. They were down to $20 billion. So in as much as we speak about uh, the overall state of the economy being positive, uh, it just appears that, um, that there is some caution before people actually put their money into Indian equity markets. Uh, what, is, what is that concern? I think, Vishnu, that's a very interesting point. But just to give you one perspective, I think portfolio investors actually comes in cycles. Uh, if you take actually the entire this fiscal year from April to January, from April to July, there was a significant massive outflow of portfolio billion, around 14 to 15 billion. From July to November, I think or early December, there was consistent inflows. And again, I think in January, there has been outflows. There has been 
significant turbulence in the financial markets. So basically, I mean, this portfolio invest actually happens, uh, the uh, inflow and the outflow actually happens over a point of time. So the point which you are trying to mention over here is that what, and that's exactly the economic survey also mentioned is that what it will be important for India, I mean, in terms of a deficit, I mean, Current account deficit, India is a current account deficit country, but what will be important to look out and watch out for is the financing pattern of the current account deficit. And in that context, I think the survey also makes a pertinent uh, point that the FDI influences a percentage of GDP has actually moved up. And since FDI being the more of the stable capital inflows, I think that will be a better option to finance current account deficit. But portfolio investment, I agree, has been volatile. But the good thing is that a significant part of the outflow of 14 to 15 billion, which happened from April to July, a large part of that has been recovered in the subsequent months. It could have been fully recovered, but for the outflow, which happened in the month of January and to some extent in December. Uh, can I add yeah, please here? go ahead. So I'm sure you have watched a very famous movie, Three Idiot. Yes, of there course. was Amit Khan, Sarman Joshi and Madhavan standing in one line. And the man who inspired it all is protesting in Ladakh presently, Sonam Bangchok. But go right ahead. So, Professor Virus asks, you know, one person to step ahead. Sarman Joshi stands where he is and Amir Khan and Madhavan takes a step back and that's how Sarman Joshi step ahead. The same three idiot movement has happened in Indian equity market. We were trading at premium to other emerging markets. They all fell down and we went a little bit ahead. Right. We were at 40% premium to other peers. At one point of time in October 21, we were trading at about 96% premium. Right. Obviously, people booked profit because India was the only market where they had profit. We had delivered four or five times more return than other invest other countries. There was exit available. Retail investors and mutual funds were giving right. that exit. Sure. So FPI sold because we were very, very expensive and there was profit and there was exit available. Sure. Okay, gentlemen, I'm going to wrap this up. Thanks uh, so much for sharing those. And we'll see uh, all of you at some stage tomorrow. Uh, let's see what the budget brings. But it's been a fairly positive economic survey. I'm joined now by Kaushik Basu, uh, the former chief uh, economic advisor to the government of India. Thanks very much. Uh, Mr. Basu, for being with us. Now, the survey says that recovery is complete. Uh, we need to you know, go beyond the pandemic. Is economic concern linked to the pandemic, in your opinion, well and truly over? No, the recovery, uh, Vishnu, is not complete. But what is correct, and I have just only glanced through the economic survey, is that right now India is in a relatively good position given the global situation. So if you look at the fiscal numbers, if you look at India's growth the last year, it is all looking reasonable. But okay. we have to keep in mind that growth getting back to where we were does not mean that we've reached pre-pandemic level because the pandemic was a huge dip and we are climbing up. I mean, one does not want to put all attention on that. But if you take a la the last three years growth mm -hmm. and take the average, it is roughly 2.8%. Some people will say 2.85, some will say 2.75, but roughly there. So we still have a distance to go. What is a good point, the strength of India right now mm -hmm. is that 
In the global situation, it is relatively stable. However, one has to keep in mind that the coming year is expected to be a very, very turbulent year for the world, especially emanating out of the advanced industrialized economies. So India needs not just to get back to previous growth, but build up the strength to take on a turmoil. So this is, if one may use an flying analogy, the time for base position because of the global situation. And there, I feel there is a lot that still needs to be done. Mr. Basu, are we on the uh, the stepping board to, I, I don't know, profound economic growth as the economic survey seems to suggest? That I do not. So I do feel we are at a relatively strong position, as I just said, vis-a-vis the world. But the long-run foundations, I do worry, that actually are being weakened rather than strengthened. And I can give actually specific numbers to show that one of them, the most important, is investment as a share of GDP, the investment rate. And this is true, that right from 2002, the investment rate began rising in India. And by 2011, it was at 39%, which where India was looking like an East Asian rapid growing economy. From 2011, it began coming down slowly and now rapidly. It's at 32%. Mm -hmm. Biggest driver of growth has got weakened. And that is what we need to attend to very rapidly. The other indicator, which is very worrying, is unemployment. India's unemployment, especially youth unemployment, is like a troubled Middle Eastern economy. So we are right now at a relatively strong point. And one does appreciate that that's good. But the foundations are being weakened. And I'm not feeling optimistic unless there is determination shown in this budget, specific measures taken to turn things around. You know, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, labor force participation. Um, The fact is that we have relatively low labor force participation. What can be done to incentivize this? No, and the employment participation being low can be for good reasons. If it happens because the opportunities for other things are so excellent, you are studying, you are doing other things, you don't want to be in the labor force. But there is a term that economists use called the discouraged worker effect. When you feel so discouraged by the labor market that you don't even show up as looking for work. And with India's youth unemployment at roughly 28%, which is shockingly high, double many of East Asian countries, which are around 14%, I believe there is a lot of discouraged worker effect also there. So unemployment should be treated on a war footing. And I'm waiting to see whether there will be measures announced tomorrow to begin to turn things around. This is not something that can be turned around in one year, two years, but we have to lay do the foundation work for the next five years, six years, 10 years. You know, foreign portfolio equity flows January to December are down to 20 billion. And now a lot of people would say that that has to do with the global sort of situation. People park their money in various economies, depending on how much equity, how much they can actually play with. Um, is that the, the, the larger issue here or is there some sort of sense of um, uncertainty with the Indian economy and the, the equity markets? Yes, correct assessment. But Vishnu, over here again, the responsibility is a little bit ours, a little bit also the global context. 
the situation. On the whole, there is so much uncertainty in the world that capital is not sloshing about, looking for the best place for investment. And we do know that in troubled times, even if the trouble begins in the United States, capital tends to stay there as a relative safe haven where there is hope for India. But once again, it needs far-reaching policy reforms, and I haven't seen enough of that, is as the Chinese economy, the confidence in the Chinese economy goes down, there is going to be capital in search of where to park in developing countries. And that's where, and India right now, India is a potential place. But once again, unless we can put our foundations on a stronger footing, and too many of these are just headlines, not really stronger footing that we are doing. This capital is not going to come here. There are smaller countries, Vietnam, Bangladesh, even Latin American countries, which will begin to attract this capital, which is going out of China. So once again, a lot to be done. And once again, all eyes are on the budget, not because this is something that, in all fairness, that Nirmala Sitaraman can do at one go, But we are waiting to see that whether this is going to be the turning around point, because on fundamentals, we are weakening our economy. The investment rate is the biggest indicator of that. You know, you mentioned China in your answer. Um, Do you believe that there would be some sort of significant shift in manufacturing from China to India? There is the potential. And we have to work towards it. But... Vishnu, this goes outside just plain simple economics. Investment comes in in an ethos of trust. So the political institutions, the social institutions need to be strong. John Maynard Keynes talked about recognizing that investment is not just a matter of fiscal policy or monetary policy. He used to talk of animal, animal spirits. spirits yeah. So there is a mystical element there, frankly. So it is not something that the finance minister can come and say that I'm going to draft a plan to correct it. But the ethos of trust needs to be built up if we want that investment. And from the first data coming in, the Chinese investment, that little bit is moving out. India is getting some of that, but not the disproportionate amount that we were hoping would be coming into India. You know, one of the sectors, and I follow this somewhat more closely than I follow the rest of the budget, which has been suffering forever, is the defense budget. As a percentage of GDP, it's at what? It's lowest um, since the 1962 war. Considering the threats that we have and considering that our defense budget is essentially messed up because of very high uh, expenses in, in salary payouts and pension payouts, is this not an area where more needs to go into capital expenditure? Yeah, Vishnu, that would be my hunch. I have not looked at the defense budget in any great detail, but there are some supporting investments which, though not directly into defense, shows up the country's strength and On that, there has been some improvement, which is CapEx, generally capital expenditure by the government. So that sort of shores up, creates space for greater military spending. But frankly, I don't know the details of the military spending to be able to comment on that. On CapEx also, I should point out that while government capital expenditure is going up, that is not translating yet into private investment. And once again, that problem is knowing One more thing, I don't know if you're not asking me that, but I will point out, inequality from all dimensions is going up. And there is actually now study after study happening within India using government of India data 
that there's much greater scope for taxing the top end of the income range in India. There is a wonderful working paper at the Delhi School of Economics by Professor Ram Singh, which documents in detail that the tax paid at the top end, there are lot, in terms of pure rates on paper, it looks very high. But if you look at the actual tax paid, it's very low. If this can be tapped, that money can be used, whether it be military, whether it be investment, there's a lot of productive expenditure. One more fiscal point I should make out of the revenue coming into the center, a disproportionate amount is interest payment. In fact, for the center's budget, 43% of the revenue is going to go on interest payment where there's no flexibility. So for productive expenditure, we have to raise revenue. And India's tax-to-GDP ratio of roughly 12.5% is way less than many other countries. We need to tax intelligently and divert that money to productive areas. You know, Mr. Basu, we are a services, and this is a broader question. We are a services sector-oriented economy. But if you look at uh, many of the, uh, the Asian tigers, when they were growing at their peak, they were manufacturing-oriented um, How do you uh, contrast the two and what does it say about us? This is a big puzzle. I mean, India stands out globally as when the agricultural sector began gradually shrinking, as happens in all developing emerging economies. In most places, the manufacturing grows in leaps and bounds. India jumped over that in a very strange way. And this is the story of the last 30 years, 20 years. The services sector, India was a global story. I do believe that though the services sector has played a very major role for India, India is where India is today because of the rise of the services sector right from 1992-1993. But to absorb the labor, you need the manufacturing sector. And this needs dissection. We have to move away from good banner headlines that we are too obsessed with and bring in minds to see that why are we not growing in the manufacturing sector? We have labor. We've got resources of all kinds. It's the flaw in policy that we are not doing, and it's not today's flaw. So you don't have to feel politically guilty in pointing out that there is a flaw. It's a long-run flaw that we need to correct. We have to move away from banner headlines to dissection of the data and numbers. And believe me, the Indian bureaucracy has talent enough to do that. All right. Well, let's see uh, how that talent actually works. Tomorrow is the big day as far as the budget is concerned. Millions across the country will be watching out for that.